Pelosi makes a move to add a rule to the 25th Amendment, one dead after a shooting sparks between left and right wing protesters in Denver, and the confirmation hearing for Amy Coney Barrett. How did it go? My name is Noah Huey, and this is Under the Stars. Welcome back to another week. Um, not much has happened this week besides the Amy Coney Barrett stuff, so we're actually going to get through these first couple of bits of news quite fast. So the first piece of news, I think I, this came out early Sunday. Uh, House Speaker Pelosi announced a bill on the 25th Amendment after questioning Trump's health. So last week, in the, and more specifically the weekend before last, uh, President Trump contacted COVID-19. By this point, he says, and his doctors confirm that he is essentially in back-to-normal health, though I think he's not taking the proper safety precautions that he should be taking as someone who just recently had COVID-19. But House Speaker Nancy Pelosi on Friday, last Friday, announced legislation to create a commission that would allow Congress to oust a president from office using the 25th Amendment, a day she after she accused President Trump of being in an altered state from his coronavirus treatment. Quote, this is not about President Trump, Pelosi maintained Friday. He will face the judgment of the voters, but he shows the need for us to create a process for future presidents. Pelosi denied the timing of the legislation had anything to do with the election and argued that setting up a commission on presidential capacity is needed to, quote, give some comfort to the people on the stability of government. Trump immediately shot back and said Pelosi's effort is really a, to remove future President Joe Biden. Quote, crazy Nancy Pelosi is looking at the 25th Amendment in order to replace Joe Biden with Kamala Harris, Trump tweeted. The Dems want that to happen so fast because Sleepy Joe is out of it. Uh, Pelosi was joined at Capitol Hill by author uh, by author representative uh, Jamie Raskin, a Democrat for um, Maryland, I think, <laughs> who said the coronavirus uh, crisis has further shown the need for a succession plan in the event a president is incapacitated. Um, and they go on to support that point, but I think I've covered a good amount of it by this point. Um, essentially, and I, I did look over the actual... Um, the actual uh, proposal that Nancy Pelosi is making. I, th I think, I certainly think this is not uh, for any reason besides politics. Um, first of all, because of Nancy Pelosi's history, she's never been one to not play politics, but then again, neither is Trump. Um, but this is most certainly a move by Nancy Pelosi to ensure that uh, should President Trump maybe win this election, maybe she can make some moves. I'm going to turn this, my microphone down a little bit more. Should President Trump win the election, that she'll be able to make adequate moves to uh, remove him from office should he become too much of a problem uh, in a s supposed second term. But this could also be used by Democrats to uh, oust Joe Biden from office should, uh, should he get elected. Because let's be honest, Democrats 
don't have a lot of faith in Joe Biden. When they're when you're voting for Joe Biden, you're really voting for Kamala Harris, and Joe Biden's also there. <laughs> um, a big thing with that is that. Um, you know, Kamala's in such a better state. The Democrats like her a little bit more than they like Joe. Joe's exact. He's not exactly moderate, but he certainly is much more moderate than Kamala Harris. And so that's a little annoying for Democrats who are going further and further left, I think, than, um, than, uh, than Joe is. Um, uh, I've lost a spot. I wanted to say something. Oh, uh, Pelosi questioned the state of Trump's health and his behavior since being diagnosed with COVID-19 amid an outbreak at the White House. Quote, the public needs to know the health condition of the president. Pelosi said Thursday, demanding to know his negative test uh, for the virus before announcing he was infected last week. Um, it's pretty obvious to me. The way I see it, Pelosi's making a political move with this. Uh, simple as that. Um, this could easily be used against Trump or in favor of Kamala to get rid of Joe, should Democrats wish to see it. Um, they could easily pull mental health thing, uh, deteriorating mental health with him, just like Republicans have to keep you from voting for, for him. Um, but I certainly think this could be easily used by, uh, by Democrats as well to get a Kamala Harris, uh, presidency. Um, so... Onto this left-wing, right-wing clashing protests in Denver. So, and uh, is that, there was actually a guard for um, Nine News who, who's currently in custody. So, a Denver Post staff member witnessed the fatal confrontation. The story was updated after authorities called into question the accuracy of the journalist's report concerning the affiliation of the shooter. One person has died, and another man, who Nine News confirmed was a private security guard contracted by them, is in custody after a shooting during dueling protests Saturday down in downtown Denver. Nine News reported that one of their employees and a contractor for the television station were taken into custody. It later confirmed the guard was contracted through through Pinkerton and, quote, that it has been the practice of Nine News for a number of months to hire private security to accompany staff at protests, end quote. Police initially said two people were taken into custody, but later said one of them was not involved in the incident. They tweeted that the suspect was a private security guard with, and I want to make sure we highlight this part that the, that the um, article is making, is bringing up as a point, no affiliation to Antifa. The incident occurred after a man participating in what is billed as a Patriot rally sprayed a mace at another man. The man then shot the other individual with a handgun near the courtyard outside the Denver Art Museum, according to a Denver Post journalist who witnessed the incident. In a news conference after the incident, uh, Division Chief Joe Montoya said police could not confirm the shooter's or the victim's affiliations, but said the incident started as a verbal altercation. Two guns were found on the scene, he said, as well as a mace can. When asked about the 9 News report, Montoya said he could not confirm any connection, only saying the department was still interviewing witnesses. One of those witnesses was a Denver Post photojournalist. Quote, we're hopeful that as soon as possible we can get the factual information out uh, to what has led to this. We, who the individuals involved were, Montoya said, uh, quote, we're hopeful that the information will help kind of calm the waters a little bit, end quote. The rallies at, at the Civic Center on Saturday came less than a month before presidential election and amidst a global pandemic that has the nation on edge. Until the shooting, the protests mostly consisted of each group chanting and yelling at one another from across the amphitheater, which separated the two groups. The right-wing protesters, led by John I think it's pronounced Tegan, an El Paso County resident, gathered in the park's amphitheater and occasionally chanted patriotic songs and held up banners. Juan Quiones, I think it's pronounced, 
Ki, 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 it's, I think it's pronounced Kinanez. Kinanez, something like that. A member of the biker gang Sons of Silence decided to attend the right-wing rally after seeing Tegan's event posted online. He arrived after the police had closed off the amphitheater but stayed with other right-leaning protesters. Kinanez said he wasn't attending the event to start trouble, but he would defend himself if he was attacked. He blamed violence on the left. And at, uh, the left-wing group, which organizers called BLM Antifa Soup Drive, held up flags and signs railing against Nazis and white supremacists as they gathered in the middle of the park several hundred feet from the barricaded off-amphitheater. An hour in, police had fired what appeared to be pepper balls after people from the leftist group started rattling a barrier headed onto the amphitheater. One protester burned a thin blue line flag in front of the officers. The soup drive idea appealed to Isabel De Francesca, who said she came out because she liked the idea to help low-income folks. She brought pasta, but said she was apprehensive about what she's seen online in anticipation of the events. And it goes on to continue to go into more detail. But I, I want to go back to the shooting, which is a little more important to me uh, than anything else. Now, uh, the, the shooting between this left-wing and right-wing protester, uh, first of all, the first thing they bring up is that there's no connection to Antifa. However, in the picture of him being apprehended after taking the shot with the gun next to him, there's a tattoo on his right hand that... Um, is actually a symbol of, um, if I'm remembering this correctly, some sort of division of Antifa or an extension of Antifa. I'm not going to specifically uh, or um, out in the open claim that it is, a it is one or the other because I cannot fully remember, but I can guarantee you I remember seeing this, that uh, the tattoo on his right arm, I believe, is a symbol often used by an extension or division of Antifa. Um, of some form. Um, this makes no difference. I mean, being in a certain group or not does not um, suddenly exclude or include you in all kinds of political violence. A problem with political violence, especially in this country, is that both sides of the aisle will blame each other for it um, at some point or another, or better yet, uh, they will... Well, not better yet. On top of that, I suppose I should say, they will... Uh, claim it's never their fault. Uh, basically, I mean, take the, for instance, take the, um, I think it's the Louisiana couple who had a BLM, pro they, you know, they live in a mansion, it's private property and such. BLM protesters broke onto the property and, and threatened, threatened to attack them and, and all sorts of, you know, hideous, heranous, heranous. I don't think that's a word. <laughs> um, yeah, all sorts of petty insults and uh, threats of violence. And so the homeowners came out with guns, even if uh, the one woman became a meme because of it. But they came out with guns prepared to defend themselves, which seems perfectly reasonable to me. But apparently to the court of, not the court of appeals, but to the court, maybe, I think it's going to a court of appeals, to the court that saw the situation, somehow that was vi filed against their favor, ruled against their favor, which I don't fully understand, but I'm not entirely interested in the Mikowskis, or Markowskis, that's their name. But, um, where leftists, um, Democrats, liberals, you know, will point that to that situation as sort of, um, and it's not highly used by leftists and Democrats, but it's certainly when the issue came out was brought up, uh, as a sort of right-wing, oh, right-wingers will, they care more about this, you know, they don't care enough about black people uh, to let 
protesters come onto their private property or whatever. I, I don't pay attention to the specific arguments made by either side, but that is the argument I would assume is being made, that, that, that right-wingers in general uh, follow the steps of the Markowskis and are, and are like... The way I suppose they see it is like um, almost as if they're insane, as if, oh, they're dangerous. They, they, they'll shoot people if you break under their property. That's, they're crazy. Um, and then uh, right-wingers will certainly point at this and say, oh, this is everything. All liberals, all leftists, ever. They all do this. Every single one of them, ever. In the entire history of the entire planet. Don't, don't look it up. Don't look it up. Just trust me. It's always happened that way. Um, uh, ironically, that, that was the reason they were there, is because of political violence. But um, not only is political violence not exclusive to one side or the other, it is used execu- It has been used historically uh, by both, whether it's a right-wing king or a left-wing dictator or vice versa. Uh, uh, left or right-wing governments and left or right-wing groups have always uh, eventually used violence as the last stand against freedom. Uh, violence is the last stand that any that any political partisan engine uh, takes to to silence the opinions of those who, who they disagree with. When, when this person, I watched some of the video of the confrontation, when nothing but petty insults and stupidity is being slung in yelling, angry phases as the tensions between these two monkeys uh, heated up more and more and more. Um, you know, one got mad and killed the other one because he can't physically comprehend the idea that this, why doesn't this guy just blatantly and, and blindly accept every opinion I have? What is he, an idiot? Uh, and, 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 politi- and this political violence will never stop, I don't think. I think it'll be subdued and it, because it's always been like this from, from almost from the dawn of this country, political groups and organizations, since parties and ideologies have taken function, have taken control in the functions of our government, these I, these thing, these incidences of violence from the Boston massacre to this shooting, to the Denver shooting, um, they come out in surges and then they'll go away for a little bit and we'll pretend that they don't exist and then they'll come back again and it'll be like, ah, oh. and, and, and the left and the right, these partisan engines consecutively use uh, these uh, examples against each other when the truth is both sides are in the wrong. The truth is both sides are willing and able to use political violence to silence and submit anyone who disagrees with their opinion. All it takes is a little bit of poking and prodding. That's how you can really tell someone who 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 has been really in, in, entrapped in the chains of these ideologies of these political parties um, and of these organizations uh, to people who simply agree with them on a general consensus, uh, even if they disagree with them on certain issues. Um, and that's where you can really tell how dangerous the effect of these political ideologies has become to the point where this type of stuff has been happening, I mean, since the dawn of the country, really, in, in, in small swaths that show up every, you know, every two, maybe every decade and a half to two decades, uh, it shows up and then it goes away and we pretend that it doesn't happen. Boston Massacre, uh, Stonewall Riots, the race riots of 2020, race riots of the 1950s and 60s, um, protests and uh, riots uh, related to... Um, and I don't know if this is fully correct, but I'm going to say related to women's rights, I think there I could probably name one or two. Um, but it, it happens on and off and in favor of certain ideologies and groups. Um, and we, when we really look at it, not just the history of this country, but of the history of the country uh, of the whole world, every single political ideology, left or right, 
is willing and eventually able to um, t- to use violence to silence other opinions. And the fact that that is a possibility whatsoever, I think, proves that um, that they are incompatible with American with the with the functions of American government, with the idea that they should be intertwined with the way our government functions at all, and with our political discourse at all. I think these ideologies and everything related to them, whether they're Democrat Republican Party or just simple socialism versus capitalism on a governmental political scale rather than on an economical one, because there are political punk- parties that function purely off capitalism and socialism as if they're not simple economic theories rather than a whole party of political ideas, everything related to that, I think, needs to die. And I think this is proof that every single one of them, this is further proof that um, they're all willing and they turn the people who submit to their ideologies into willing, um, I don't want to say slaves, but that's it's borderline slavery uh, with of the mind, at least, um, to mindless violent animals who just simply cannot stand the idea that you're different than me, that that you don't agree with everything I've ever believed in my whole life, so clearly you're an idiot and you're stupid, and if you're not going to submit to me at, from me yelling at you over and over and over again, then I'll shoot you, and then you'll never be able to speak out against me. And I think that's the point that every every side, every party will always forever take. If you give Democrats full power in government, they p- would likely eventually, if you push them hard enough lead to to uh, political violence to silence you. If you gave Republicans the same thing would happen. Conservatives, liberals, leftists, rightists, whatever, you give one of them exclusive power or give them the means and push them to, to the point that they can, they will kill you. Because these ideologies are are completely incapable of the integrity of political discourse that is required to have meaningful political discourse. Um, at least that is my opinion. Um, anyways, so there was a plot to kidnap Michigan Governor Whitmire. Now, I don't like Michigan Governor Whitmire. I don't think she's any good, but that doesn't mean you should kidnap her. So, the Vac Shack sits in the middle of a row of single-story shops in a commercial part of Grand Rapids, Michigan, between a beauty salon and a taco joint. Adam Fox had moved into the basement of the vacuum repair shop after his girlfriend threw him out. The owner, Bryant Titus, was a hometown friend who hoped the younger man he helped to get through... who. Hope, yeah, hope the younger man he'd helped to get through high school would soon get back on his feet. At the corner of the shop, across from the vacuum fitters, attachments, and hoses, a white door opens into a storeroom. In it, two flights of stairs under a wooden cover lead down into a dark basement cluttered with spare vacuum parts, a dog crate, and, a camp- and camping gear. At the end of the long hallway, there seems to be another room where the lights are on. It is in this basement room that Fox, 37, and several other men are accused of meeting on June 20th this year to discuss how to vent their anger at officials they thought were violating the Constitution. It spiraled into a terrorism plot, officials say, the, with, with, with Michigan Governor Gretchen Whitmire the target of a kidnapping scheme. Fox, a man named Barry Croft from Delaware and 13 others, had met up in Dublin, Ohio two weeks earlier after exchanging messages on online, the criminal complaint from the FBI states. It was about three months into the shutdowns forced by spread of the coronavirus pandemic, and many were frustrated by their state's state's closure of gyms, bars, and much of their usual life. But Fox and 11 others wanted to go a step further. In their view, Michigan had, and several other states were violating the U.S. Constitution, and they talked about killing tyrants and taking a governor. They reached out to some armed groups and 
to add manpower and might, the complaint said, including members of a local armed group called the Wolverine Watchmen. The Watchmen had been flagged to the FBI in March, and one of its members is now was now an informant. That informant, others on the other on the inside as well as undercover operatives and recordings, allowed the Bureau to monitor what was happening from then on. At a rally in Michigan's Capitol, landing in favor of the Second Amendment on June 18th, Fox and T.Y. Garbin, uh, the leader of a local armed group, talked about attacking the Capitol building as a way to recruit more like-minded people, the FBI says. During this meeting in the basement two days later, Fox, Garbin, and others discussed what an attack could look like, whether Molotov cocktails would be used, the criminal complaint says. Apparently suspicious, Fox took to the phones of, an, of all in attendance, bef- took all the phones in attendance, all of all in attendance before showing them the way to the stairs, but the informant still had what in court documents was referred to as a recording device. Uh, apparently they go training. It, I don't know how much more I could read of this without wanting to go to sleep, but uh, <laughs> they go to train, the plot thickens, and eventually they're like, alright, let's go kidnap the, the Michigan governor because she's a tyrant. Um, I'm very tired. So, Yes, to, this was certainly an act of terrorism on every level. Now, M- Michigan Governor Gretchen Whitmer is no good. All right, let me be clear with that. Michigan Governor Whitmer, I think, isn't very good. Uh, do I want to kidnap her and kill governors who I don't like? No, because that type of unrestrained, unfiltered violence, um, if not controlled, will will never go away. Um, there's a There's a difference between... Uh, restrained, controlled violence that targets very small, specific things. Um, You know, throwing a cup when you're mad. When you're mad at someone, you know, because of something they said or something they did, you know, you throw a cup past them or you throw a cup on the ground in front of you. You don't kill them. You don't take them hostage and force their family to pay ransom. Um... Certain specific acts of violence, like the Boston Tea Party, are very helpful because they make political statements and they're able to uh, support your the message you're trying to prove here uh, without becoming too too violent. You know, they didn't go, let's just burn down the ship. Um, they're like, go in there, sneak on, dress like Indians, destroy the tea, leave, and lock the door behind you so that when they go in there, when they go back, it's, you know, they're not going to be like, oh, wait, the door's open. Did someone get in? Um But uncontrolled, unrestrained acts of violence, these, oh, let's kidnap the governor and kill the governor of all the states we don't like, can end up being very dangerous. It could be the pathway to tyranny, if not controlled right. Um, And to an extent, in America, because of us not controlling violence enough, um, it led to stuff like... uh, I was trying to make a point here, and my audacity stopped and my camera stopped, so I'm going to have to realign everything in editing. This is going to be so frustrating. Anyways, it's bad, it's stupid, don't do it, um, is what I'm trying to say. I'm just going to move on, because I don't want this to crash anymore. So, a new New York Post bombshell report shows Hunter Biden directly... Well, before I go on, because I've got a big thing to talk about, uh, I want to remind you, because I didn't remind you at the beginning of the episode, to follow my Instagram, at HueyNoah, that's at H-U-G-H-U-I-N-O-A-H, that's at HueyNoah, and I have merch on my website at the shop section. You can check it out on my Instagram, or you can go to my YouTube page, it's linked on there as well. Um, Also, my second book, Yes Master, is available on Amazon. It's available for $17.99. You can get it. It's, I think it's, um, it's a fairly short read. You can finish it 
a little under a day if you cr- if you really like crunch hard to like read the whole thing, but you can read it in like a day or two. Um, I think it's insightful on some of the ideals that I uh, promote, so that pe- it's a better idea so you can see what I think. Uh, it may help influence maybe what you think, um, but that's it. That's not really the goal. The goal is just to to open you up to some new ideas, and uh, should you support those ideas, that's awesome. Whatever. Uh, yeah. So yeah, check out my book if you're interested. Anyway. Uh, this new bombshell report was blocked on Twitter. People have been removed over it. It's a pretty big deal. It's a smoking gun email revealing reveals uh, how Hunter Biden introduced Ukrainian businessman to his vice president dad, Joe Biden. So Hunter Biden introduced his father, then vice president Joe Biden, to a top executive at the Ukrainian energy firm at a Ukrainian energy firm less than a year before Elder Biden was pressured pressured government officials in Ukraine into firing a prosecutor who was investigating the company, according to emails obtained by the Post. The never before revealed meeting in, is mentioned in a message of appreciation that Vadim Poskarsky Yes, Pusarsky, an advisor to the board of Burisma, allegedly sent Hunter Biden on April 17, 2015, about a year after Hunter joined the Burisma board and reported at a reported salary of up to $50,000 a month. Quote, Dear Hunter, thank you for inviting me to D.C. and giving an opportunity to meet your father and spent uh, some time together. It's, it's realty, and I think this was to say, it's really an honor and a pleasure, the email reads. An earlier email from May 2014 also shows Posarski, reportedly Burisma's number three executive, asking Hunter for advice on how you could use your influence on the company's behalf. The blockbuster correspondence, which flies in the face of Joe Biden's claim that he's, quote, never spoken to my son about his overseas business dealings, end quote, is obtained, is contained in a massive trove of data recovered from a laptop computer. The computer was dropped off at a repair shop in Biden's home state of Delaware, April 2019, according to the store's owner. Other material extracted from the computer includes a raunchy 12-minute video that appears to show Hunter, who's admitted struggling with addiction problems, smoking crack while engaged in a sex act with an unidentified woman, as well as numerous other sexually explicit images. The customer who brought the water-damaged MacBook Pro for repair never paid the service or retreat for the service or retrieved it or had a hard drive on it, it or a hard drive on it which its contents were stored, according to the shop owner, who said he tried repeatedly to contact the client. The shop owner couldn't positively identify the customer as Hunter Biden, but said the laptop bore a sticker from the Bo Biden Foundation, named after Hunter's late brother and former Delaware Attorney General. Photos of a Delaware federal Sabina given to the Post shows that the computer and the hard drive were seized by the FBI in December after the shop's owner says he alerted the feds to their existence. But before turning over the gear, the shop owner says he made a copy of the hard drive and later gave it to former Mayor Rudy Giuliani's lawyer, Robert Costello. Steve Bannon, former advisor to President Trump, told the Post that the existence of the hard drive in late September and Giuliani uh, provided... Uh, the Post with a copy of it on Sunday. Less than eight months after Pisarski thanked Hunter Biden for the in- introduction to his dad, the then vice president admittedly pressured Ukrainian President Petro, Petro Pruskin, Pruskinko, I think is how it's pronounced, I, I butcher foreign names, and Prime Minister, uh, there's another one, Arseniy, I think it's Yatsenyuk, uh, 
into getting rid of Prosecutor General Viktor Shokin by threatening to withhold a $1 billion U.S. loan guarantee during a December 2015 trip to Kiev. Quote, I looked at them and said, I'm leaving in six hours. If the prosecutor is not fired, you're not getting the money. And quote, Biden infamously bragged about to uh, the Council on Foreign Relations in 2018. Shokin has said that the time at the time of his firing in March 2016, he made specific plans to investigate Burisma that included interrogations and other crime investigation procedures into all members of the executive board, including Hunter Biden. Joe Biden has insisted that the U.S. wanted Shokin removed over corruption concerns, which were shared by the European Union. Meanwhile, an email dated to May 12, 2014, shortly after Hunter Biden joined the Burisma board, shows Pazarski attempting to get him to use his political leverage to help the company. The message had the subject line, urgent issue, and was also sent to Hunter Biden's business partner, Devin Archer, who also sat on the Burisma board at the time. Pasarski said that the representatives of new authorities in power tend to quite aggressively approach NZ unofficially with the aim to obtain cash from him. NZ isn't identified in the, mail, in the email, but appears to be a reference to Burisma founder Mjolka, I think it's pronounced Slotskevi, whose first name is Ukrainian version of Nicholas. When the alleged shakedown failed, they proceeded with concrete actions in the form of one or more petrol proceedings, Przarski wrote. We urgently need your advice on how you could use your influence to convey a message, signal, etc., to stop what we consider to be politically motivated actions, he added. Hunter Biden responded by saying he was with Archer in Doha, Qatar, and asked for... More information about the formal of any accusations being made against Burisma, who is ultimately behind these attacks on the company, who in the current interim government could pull put such an end to these attacks, he added. The exchange came the same day that Burisma announced it had expanded its board of directors by adding Hunter Biden, who was put in charge of its legal unit and will provide support for the company among international organizations, according to a news release that has since been scrubbed from Burisma's website. Hunter Biden actually joined the board in April 2014, according to multiple reports. His lawyer said last year that Hunter was not a member of the management team, adding, at no time was Hunter in charge of the company's legal affairs. About four months after Hunter Biden's correspondence with Pisarski, Archer for har forwarded Hunter Biden in an email chain with the subject line, Tax Raise Impact on Burisma Production, which included Pisarski saying that the Ukrainian cabinet had submitted a new tax legislation to the country's parliament. If enacted, this law would kill the entire private gas production sector in the bud, Pisarski wrote. In the September 24th, 2014 email, Prasarski also said that he was going to share this information with the U.S. Embassy here in Kiev, as well as the office of Mr. Amos Hostein in the United States. At the time, Hostein was the State Department's newly appointed special envoy and coordinator for international energy affairs. In December 2017, the NAFT Gaz Group, Ukraine's state-owned energy company, announced that Hostein had joined the company as an independent director, but on Monday, he announced his resignation. The company has been forced to spend endless amounts of time combating political pressure and efforts by oligarchs to enrich themselves through questionable transactions, Hostein wrote in an op-ed published by the Kiev Post. I think it's pronounced Kiev too. And in addition to denying that he's spoken to Hunter Biden about his overseas business dealings, Joe Biden has repeatedly denied any conflict of interest or wrongdoing by either of them involving Burisma. Last February, he got testy during an appearance on NBC's Today show when co-host Savannah Guthrie questioned whether or not it was wrong for Hunter to take that position, knowing that it was really because that company wanted access 
to you, she said, end quote. Quote, well, that's not true. You're saying things you do not know what you're talking about, the elder Biden responded. Last December, Joe Biden also lashed out during a Democratic primary town hall event in Iowa where a man accused him of sending Hunter to Ukraine to get a job and work for a gas company. He had no experience with gas or nothing in order to get access to the president. Quote, you're a darn liar, man. That's not true, and no one has ever said that, Biden fumed. Biden then continued berating the man and stepped forward, calling the man fat and challenging him to do push-ups together. The FBI referred questions about its seizure of the laptop and hard drive to the Delaware U.S. Attorney's Office, where the spokesperson said, my office can neither confirm or deny the existence of an investigation. Hunter Biden's lawyer refused to comment on the specifics, but instead attacked Giuliani. He has been pushing widely discredited conspiracy theories about the Biden family, openly relying on actors tied to Russian intelligence. The lawyer, George R. Masiri, said of Giuliani, Posarski and the Joe Biden campaign did not return requests for comments. Hochstein could not be reached. This, after all that, all that reading, is ginormous. Uh, first of all, the claims made by, you know, uh, representatives on, I'm going to call it the Biden team, uh, aren't really pulling much to actually prove that Giuliani is, is simply shoving conspiracy theories around. Because now we have a computer and a hard drive and pictures and screenshots and, and all this information which clearly shows that Joe Biden ha- ha- has, like, we already knew about the Burisma stuff. We knew it was shady. We knew there had to be something going on. There's no way Joe Biden just went, you know, today I feel like working in the gas industry in Ukraine. Just why not? Um, that we Like, there's no way that's possible. I mean, maybe it is. Maybe Joe Biden's just as insane as his dad and just woke up and said, I want to work for a gas company in Ukraine. Bring me the first gas company you find. But I highly, highly doubt that. Highly. And the fact that... And over the course of time, we... I knew that there had to be corruption in the in the company. Um, funds of $50,000. Biden's... Mo- Hunter's moved up to the... Um, I think it's the board of directors. Uh, the owner of the company being the former president that had to be outsed uh, for his corruption. Um, the... Not the attorney general. Um... The prosecutor in Ukraine being wanting to go, let's look into this corruption. Let's see if there's something here. And Biden turning around and going, well, you're not going to get uh, loans if you don't fire that guy. And he gets fired. It was all looking very suspicious, but there was no way to tie Biden directly to it. And thus, is, it wasn't really that big of a deal. It could be just held as a conspiracy theory, whatever. But we, this exists. This computer does exist. You can't wipe it out of existence. You can't get rid of the pictures of the video of the fo- files because it's got the actual screenshots of some of these emails being sent, um, of, uh, transcripts of the emails being sent to Biden from, uh, from Pazarski. Um, and, and this directly ties Biden to the business. At least in terms of he 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 knew about it, that he was tied in with it, that he that he was like he's in on the loop. He was in on the loop. I think is the phrase I'm looking for. Where he's like, okay, so this is what's happening. He wasn't he wasn't the way he like the way he like paints himself out. Oh, I didn't I I don't know anything. I I just let Hunter Biden do whatever he wants. Whatever, not my problem. I I I just don't do anything. Um, this directly ties him. He was in on the loop. He knew what was going on, and. And when this was shared by multiple people, by certain organizations, Twitter, Facebook, and 
I, I believe Instagram as well, has taken down this post. The They say it doesn't comply, all three of them have argued that it doesn't comply with their community guidelines and that they're getting their independent fact-checkers. What they mean by independent fact-checkers is hand-picked and fan... Fan packers, uh, fact checkers, hand picked fan checker, <laughs> hand picked fan checkers, hand picked fact checkers. Uh, n- first of all, Twitter and Facebook and Instagram's independent fact checkers is a load of crap, okay? Load of crap. Facebook, Instagram, none of these sites, they don't care about independence, about staying unbiased. They don't give a tiny crap. We've seen from institutions like Project Veritas who have openly confirmed that most, if not all, of like of all of their content moderators and the people controlling the data and all the people running them, you know, are all like, yeah, we're left leaning, we shadow ban some people, we, you know, we change the guidelines, we do certain things here and there, just little things that nobody would notice that just kind of blocks people we don't like. We, we've seen this outright, but on top of this, with them blocking this and saying, oh, well, we have to let our independent fact checkers take a look at this. This might not be true. Yeah, sure, that computer just doesn't exist. That never happened. Th- these these transcripts of emails, that never happened. This uh, gallery of the uh, subpoena, uh, from the FBI obtaining a computer. that None of that's real. That was made up by the New York Post to make Joe Biden look bad. Clearly. What I simply want from these social media sites and from mainstream media outlets is that if we're going to criticize President Trump for not paying his taxes or not paying enough of his taxes by trying to pull uh, half some crap legal legal loopholes where he only has to pay $750 in taxes, we need to be scrutinizing Biden for lying about his connection and about his his know-how, his um, knowledge of the Burisma dealings. We need to openly criticize Biden for actively telling Ukrainian government, the Ukrainian government, oh, we're just not going to give you your loans, your aid. We're not going to give it to you unless you purposefully fire the guy who's investigating the company that my son works for. This further also ties in the money that has been, that we confirmed a couple weeks ago. I believe I talked about it in a a few episodes ago that was being given from Biden, from Hunter, into the Biden family as well. That, that ties everything together. This is all horrible looking uh, for Biden. And I think that's the biggest reason why this is being silenced. This isn't being silenced for concerns about legitimacy or any of that crap, okay? This is being silenced because it makes the preferred candidate of most of these people uh, look bad. And instead of openly criticizing him for his wrongdoing, uh, we have to make it, we have to, gi- we have to give in to this ridiculous fantasy that he's somehow the lesser of two evils. What a load of garbage. That is an absolute pile of trash. Uh, not just trash, it's an absolute pile of burning trash. And people continue to defend this ridiculous idea that he's the lesser of two evils um, by simply sweeping every bad thing he's ever done under the carpet. Republicans do the same thing uh, for Trump, okay? Um, oh, it's actually not bad that he paid that he paid $750. He, that, that's pretty based. If you ask me, that's pretty based that he avoided tax well, he avoided taxes while I would get put in prison for doing that. That's pretty based. Like, no, it's not. The man avoided taxes. Okay? If you're gonna pay taxes, Everyone should pay the taxes that they are due. 
Does that mean all the taxes are justified? Certainly not. Certain taxes, I think, don't deserve to exist. If government was not the worst spender in the entire planet, we wouldn't need so many of these ridiculous, unwanted, unnecessary taxes. But if these taxes are going to exist, we cannot simply sit by while certain individuals think they can just get away with not paying them. All right? We can also not sit back and, and let a man who's running to be the president of the United States, who was, while the vice president of the United States, who directly uh, slowed down uh, a, an investigation into a potentially corrupt business that his son worked for. We can't just sit back and pretend like these bad things aren't bad or that they're not happening. That's only empowering two of these awful candidates. But you people are so obsessed with your lesser of two, your lesser of two evils crap that you're willing to do anything to defend these awful, horrible people. That is the amount of control that these parties, that these people, that this election has on the voting base of the United States. That's how stupid people have become. And we sit here and defend it and pretend like we don't have to worry about it or pretend that it's a good thing or pretend that it's necessary to defend political partisanship. It all ties back, all of this, Trump not paying his taxes, this type of corruption with Biden, it all ties back to the fact that we're not willing to call people out when they do bad things and say, well, that means that kind of makes you less electable. Why would I want to elect a guy who's purposely trying to cover for his son, for, who's working for this <laughs> blatantly corrupt company? Why should I vote for a guy who thinks that he can avoid taxes, um, certain types of taxes, while I would get thrown in jail and treated like this horrible person by our government uh, for, for doing the same thing? Why is that fair? How can we allow this to happen? But neither one is going to do that. They'll openly yell at each other for it, but neither one is going to be willing to call each other out for the crap they pull off. Because, again, it all ties back to this absolute, almost near mind control that these political parties, that these ideologies, the chains they have enslaved the American mind to. It destroys the integrity of these elections, it destroys the integrity of political discourse, and it shows that no matter what bad things you do, if you're able to control the way people think, they will never question your actions. It's pathetic, it's sad, and, it, and it's dangerous when we think about the fact that these men have the ability to control a certain cog in the functions, in the engine of government that is supposed to protect and preserve our natural rights to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. We're just, we're just letting these awful people be the cogs of our government. And we're just, we're just going to let it happen. Whatever. Who cares, right? Doesn't matter. So, finally, uh, over a two, three day period, I watched like the first day and then kind of got an idea of the next two. The confirmation hearing for Amy Coney Barrett. So, Amy Coney Barrett was nominated by President Trump about a week or two ago, or almost three weeks ago, I think. I was very uh, on and off about her, because while she is certainly uh, socially and personally conservative um, in her private life, she very Catholic, so on and so on. I was like, and on top of that, many Republicans, especially President Trump, is rushing to have her on because I think some Republicans, and especially the president right now, would like to use her to just confirm 
everything she wants because once again we have absolute proof now that Repu- that certainly at least in the eyes of politicians republicans and democrats see the judicial branch as you know oh we can just use it to our advantage let's turn it into the super legislative branch now again they'll both call each other out on it but won't admit that yeah i like to have more liberal ju-. and what they again what they do to justify their personal opinions being pushed through through the engine of government is they say oh but my personal opinions are the objective better ones they lie to themselves and to american voters and go well my personal opinions are american opinions and if you don't accept that idea then you're just stupid and wrong Take that, you idiot. Um, And this type of corruption is being blatantly shown through President Trump being like, you have to get her elected right now. She has to get, or not elected, you have to put her nominated right now. She has to be on the Supreme Court so I can overturn Roe vs. Wade. And so if I lose the election, I can bring it to the Supreme Court and she will rule in my favor. Um... And it's very obvious that that's what's happening. But over the course of this questioning, I actually think Amy Coney Barrett has proved that she's very constitutionally minded and would actually make an excellent Supreme Court justice. So the first day, Senator Feinstein, like many of her Democratic comedy comedies <laughs> colleagues would do for the next two three days is they pointed out pointed out the threats that president trump said would come to the affordable care act should amy coney barrett get nominated they were like uh president trump wants to use you to to overturn the affordable care act and here's here's little timmy johnson without the affordable care act he would be dead um and stuff like that <laughs> Um, Chuck Grassley, uh, fumbled through a praise of Judge Barrett that was mostly blinded by political partisanship and not legitimate questioning. Senator Leahy, uh, basically targeted Republicans about COVID, said the hearing shouldn't be happening at all, that it's being rushed. Senator Mike Lee makes probably the best argument on the separation of branches and what the hearing should be about. He was like, we're supposed to be asking this nomination for, you know, uh, legal philosophy. If... As a judge, what's your legal philosophy, Judge Barrett? Um, As a judge, you know, not how do you rule on X and... Because a lot of politicians were like, we need to get your personal opinion on certain cases and turn that around and use it as your legal philosophy when that's a load of garbage. Um, Your personal opinion and your legal philosophy can be entirely separated, much like your political opinion and your personal opinion, which is something that direly needs to be separated. Again, for me, for instance, my personal opinion currently is that uh, abortion should be uh, uh, banned at the heartbeat. Um, But when it comes to the politics of the situation, I would argue that it's currently protected under the assumption of our natural rights because there isn't really enough research that isn't either partisan or just simply buried under partisanship to actually have a legitimate conversation and say, okay, so where does this actually apply? Uh, So I have to separate those two things. And if we want to come to a real conclusion on the political level, you have to make the, you have to go into the, um, into a sort of investigation on a political level rather than assuming your personal opinion is the right way to go politically. Because 99% of the time, I'm going to give you a quick hint here, it's not. Um, Senator, Senator Whitehouse, um, has, like, again, many of his Democratic colleagues, uh, basically decided all of her judicial rulings based on the word of Trump and many Republicans, um, and that they hate happiness and that they hate, they hate the health of the American people. Amy Klobuchar basically spouted propaganda. It was very emotional. There wasn't much substance to it. It was just like, it was again, it's like, oh, little, little Mary Sue without the Affordable Care Act. (laughs) 
should be dead. <laughs> like, that's, that's what Amy Klobuchar was basically doing, spouting propaganda, not asking legitimate questions, and she would actually go on the second day to, again, she's like, what's your personal opinion on this case? And, and Judge Barrett would be like, I'm sorry, it's against my... Uh, it's it's kind of against my oath as a judge to give you my personal opinion on a case. If if I am the judge of a case and a case is right in front of me and it's happening, I could decide on that, but I'm not going to pick sides. You know, that's what politicians do. P politicians pick sides based on personal preference, and she's like, my personal preference isn't the same as my legal philosophy anyway. Um, Senator Sass, who's probably now my favorite Republican, Ben Sass of, I think, Utah, gives a very good lesson on um, on the idea of politics versus civics on, like, uh, your political opinion and the basic civics of the of the situation are very two different things and must be separated. And uh, the parties just continue to play politics with the nomination. Essentially, they're either not talking to her at all because they've they've pre decided that they're just gonna vote no because they don't like her and they don't like Trump for nominating her, or they're blaming each other for totally irrelevant crap that that's happening. Um, yes. To an extent, I um, I do think that uh, they need to th that this the hearing was rushed. I do think it, it is being rushed. But I think while it's happening, if it's going to happen, you need to be asking real for real questions. Like Senator Feinstein, she asked for real questions. She didn't waste her time on propaganda or politics or blaming Republicans for this or blaming whoever for that. She did do it once or twice on the first day, but after the, I think the second day, she really kind of just was like, all right, let's lean into the questioning here. Um, day two, Senator Feinstein kept, uh, like again, many Democrats kept trying to pull personal opinions out of Barrett's, out of Barrett, and turn them around and say, this is her legal philosophy. They were like, they kept bringing up, oh, uh, 15 years ago, when you were a private citizen, you signed an anti-abortion thing that said you would make abortion uh, illegal if you could because of your Catholic beliefs. And she was like, she was like, yes, that that is true. But I was a private citizen, and private citizens are allowed to do whatever they want. But as a uh, almost, but as a um, as someone in public life, I I I withhold those opinions to myself and separate the exclusively separate them from my judicial philosophy um, when I'm ruling on a case. So that's really kind of an irrelevant fact. But many Democrats like um, Amy Klobuchar and such would be like, oh oh, so your personal opinion. So you're going to turn around. They, they kept trying to pull personal opinions as judicial philosophy. And it looked really stupid on their part. And it looks really bad um, because they are separated. And there's nothing you can do to change that. Chuck Grassley kind of just exists. I couldn't understand a word he was saying. Senator Leahy continues to use Parrott's personal opinions and connections in personal life as her legal precedent, as her legal judicial philosophy. And again, that just doesn't work. Mike Lee argued that uh, maybe our partisanship is causing the hatred we see in political discourse. It had almost nothing to do with her, but he was like, hey, guys, what if us existing is the reason all this bad stuff happens in politics? And they're like, oh, wow. And then in your next next question, like, okay, forget all that. Um, but it was an interesting to see that, that, um, that, uh, to see one of these engines, one of these uh, corrupt political engines kind of question themselves for a split second. The whole thing kind of goes off the rails after Senator Whitehouse gives a speech followed by Ted Cruz attacking each other, not asking any questions at all. They both were like giving self-glorifying speeches about judicial philosophy and how the courts are being bought up by evil Republicans or how you don't, you Democrats, you don't care about this woman. She's the most excellent person to ever exist in the entire history of the world. She is God himself. 
Um, and they like asked nearly no questions. I think between Ted Cruz and Senator uh, Whitehouse, uh, I think Amy Coney Barrett actually answered like three questions. Senator Klobuchar continued the charade Democrats used to pull personal objections from Barrett's per- Barrett's position as a scholar as if they are the same thing as a ruling on a case. Again, they were trying to pull personal objections as a scholar, as a human being, um, as whatever, and then turn them around and say, so this is how you would vote on this case. And she'd be like, no, I would vote on a case under the precedent of here's what the law says. And unfortunately, that looks really good. Uh, I think support for her went up 11 per 11 points after after the hearings. And the idea that you're only that you're going to remove all of your personal opinions and throw them in the garbage and go, OK, so what is the legal precedent and how is that applied to this case that I'm looking at before me? That looks fantastic. And unfortunately, unlike the politician she was being interviewed by, Judge Barrett, I think now has a little integrity and understands that your personal objections cannot con- corrupt your political opinions or, in her case, your judicial rulings. And these politicians couldn't wrap their head around that idea because they've never done that in their life. Republican or Democrat, but the Democrats made it a little more obvious with this, made it very aware, made, made us very aware, especially me, I, I suppose I should say, um, that their personal opinions were their political beliefs. And that's incredibly dangerous. I've pointed this out before. Your personal opinions should not become the rule of law. If you're against gay marriage, guess what? Don't care. Your personal opinion shouldn't be rule of law. That's why you should never vote for people who share your personal beliefs. Because sometimes your beliefs are just stupid. The only thing that we as Americans share consecutively, or not consecutively, um, uh, uh, I'm just going to use the word concisively, is the idea that we're all born with the natural rights to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, and that our government should be the engine with which we protect and preserve those natural rights, and every situation, economic, political, or social that it's faced with, should look at it with that idea. It's then the judicial branch's uh, purpose to look at the legal precedent that we have set as a legislative branch and as an executive branch enforcing those laws to go, okay, so let's take this legal precedent and take it to this case of people who disagree on what's going on. Democrats and Republicans, and again, in this in this case, Democrats made it a little more obvious than Republicans did, um, were, take their personal opinions and instead of um, p- separate them from the political notion that we should all have life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, and we just interpret what that means separately, rather take their personal opinions of... Um, you know, my religion's better than yours, of gay marriage should be illegal, of religious freedom is this, of freedom of speech is that. They take their, they take a personal warped perception of that notion and apply it rather than applying it in such a certain situations and disagreeing on whether or not it actually is applied in that specific sense, if, if that idea makes sense. Um, and so that was openly shown, especially from Democrats. Again, it was shown from certain Republicans, but other Republicans were actually very good with it. And again, Senator Ben Sass was a, was a, a breath of, of a refreshing breath of fresh air with appropriate questions that Judge Barrett can answer. Again, Senator Sass, and I actually want to add the Senator Sass came out recently with a, a quote-unquote attack on President Trump um, for cozying with dictators, for playing with white supremacists, his family treating the White House like it's their own personal... Um, investment opportunity, uh, with, with toying with dictators, with selling out our allies and all of that. And I think I agree with him to a certain extent. And, uh, my respect for him just went up by like 50,000 points. 
Um, but that, besides that, the whole questioning, I think, proved that Amy Coney Barrett, who initially I was, I was a little conflicted on, I think she actually, despite the fact that I do think some Republicans, and especially President Trump, would love to use her to just confirm personal and political beliefs through the judicial branch, I think she would actually not be that puppet that Democrats so badly need her to be. Democrats need her to be a blind, uh, accepting puppet that will just do anything President Trump tells her so that they can accuse her, so that they can justify biasedly voting no for no reason other than we don't like President Trump. Uh, but I think over the course of this questioning, uh, Judge Barrett has actually proved quite uh, quite succinctly that she respects the the legal precedent set before her, before her personal and political beliefs, and before the preset notions that certain politicians may try and throw upon her, as politicians do, with especially with Supreme Court justices. And so, honestly, I think she'd be an excellent fit for the Supreme Court. Despite everything else, I think, at the end of the day, I think people should vote yes. I, I kind of hope they do. I think Amy Coney Barrett... It, it, She's not. She's certainly not the same as RGB. Um, I think RGB actually was a little more biased than she was. I'll, I'll be entirely honest with you. Um, I, but I really think Amy Coney Barrett actually would be an excellent, an excellent nominee for the Supreme Court. I think she's overqualified for it by by all means. She certainly knows the law. She had no notes and was able to like refer to certain cases and certain things she said and certain things other people said almost instantly. So I think her knowledge of the law is fantastic and I think her judicial philosophy of I respect legal precedent and I'm going to I will look at it under that idea before I go, hmm, how can I benefit? How can I legislate from the bench? Um, I see that as a very positive trait. I think she would make an excellent Supreme Court justice. Um, so we'll have to see what happens uh, in the upcoming future. So that is it for this week. Thank you so much for listening in. Uh, I want to remind you to follow my Instagram. That's at Huey Noah. That's at H-U-G-H-U-I-N-O-A-H. That's at Huey Noah. Also, I have merchandise on my website. It's in the shop section. If you'd like to support the show, if you'd like to get a, hu- a, a hoodie, if you'd like to get a hoodie or a mug or a shirt and or socks. I forget I have socks. Or uh, maybe I'll add other stuff someday um, to support the show. That would be greatly appreciated. Or if you're not interested in supporting the show through the, through the merchandise um, on my shop section, which you can find on my Instagram or the I have it linked on my YouTube page, you can also check out my second book, Yes, comma, Master. Um, it's available on Amazon for $17.99. I will also have it added to the shop section. It'll be in the shop section on the bookshelf section of the shop section on my website. Um, and that'll, that'll be there. So uh, besides that, that's it. Thank you so much for listening in. Check out my book, my new book. Check out uh, my, my merch and follow me on Instagram. Uh, thanks so much for listening in. I've said that like the 30th time in the last 10 seconds. Uh, and I will see you all or hear you all next week. Bye-bye.